Well, this evening I ask you to turn in God's Word to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. So, just picking up the reading uh, where it was left off at the start of the service. So, Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, and we'll commence at verse 14. I'll read through to verse 27. And as you find your place, I'd just like to add my own words of welcome to all of Gallard, for those who visit with us. Uh, we thank you for coming along and trust the Lord will bless us even now as we gather around the Word. And just to remind you of that announcement, that date for your diary, the 28th of June, Friday night, for the farewell service for the Reverend Greer. So remember that, please. And that's just to give you a heads up concerning that, so you can make your own plans and plan to be there on that very special evening. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, and we will commence reading verse 14. And let us hear the word of our God. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it, uh, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And often, oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that, the people came running together. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that they said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the public reading of His Word to our hearts. Let's just unite in prayer once again and God's people joining together. Asking the Lord to bless the preaching of the Word to those who are in need of God's great salvation. Let's pray. Our gracious God and eternal loving Father, it is with thanksgiving again we approach Thy throne of heavenly grace. We come in the Saviour's name pleading all the merit of His precious blood. Lord, I thank Thee for the privilege of preaching the gospel. And Lord, what a privilege it is, what a solemn responsibility to carry the only message of life to those who are dead in their sin. Lord, I pray that Thou would cleanse me, wash me. Lord, I confess my need of cleansing in the precious blood. And I pray that You would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And now in answer to prayer, I by faith take the Holy Ghost. I pray, O God, that Thou will help me and use me, and Thou would use the Word tonight to speak to those who are yet in their sin. 
And we pray, O God, that Thou will command deliverance unto them, that Thou, God, would rescue, would save still every heart, take away distracting thoughts, elevate, O God, even the weariness of the flesh, as it will come upon us at this time of night. And we pray, O God, that Thou will come and speak very powerfully to those here assembled, and even, Lord, to those who watch online. Lord, hear our cry. We look to Thee. We want Thee to be glorified. We want Thee to save the lost. O God, come, we pray. Hear our prayer for this I asked in Jesus' precious and His worthy name. Amen. Stuart Hamlin was born on the 20th of October 1908 in Kellyville, Texas, to an itinerant Methodist preacher. He became a cowboy and having a good voice, he became well known as someone who would sing on the radio as a singing cowboy. By the 1950s, he had become a well-established name in Hollywood. He was a well-known, popular radio host. He was a comedian, a songwriter, and he even starred in some of the big Hollywood movies. But with the pressures of a high-profile career, he sought relief in alcohol. Many times his drinking landed him in jail for public brawling and other destructive behavior. But because he was hugely popular, the radio sponsors, they regularly bailed him out and smoothed things over. But Hamlin's drinking and gambling and womanizing were destroying his life and his marriage. One day a well-known young preacher came to the town to have a tent mission. And Hamlin invited this young, well-known preacher onto his radio show, as opposed to poke fun at him. And then in order to gather more material, he went to one of those gospel crusade meetings. Early in the service, the preacher, he announced, there is one man in this audience, and he is a great faith. There are probably others of whom this could have been spoken. But Hamlin was convinced and he was convicted that he was the one who the preacher was speaking about. And for days he was haunted by these words. There's a man in this meeting, and he is a great faith. They said these words troubled Hamlin. And for a number of days, until he couldn't take it any longer, and he showed up at the preacher's door at 2 a.m. in the morning, drunk, demanding that the preacher pray for him. The preacher said to him, he said, this is between you and God, and I am not going to get in the middle of it. But the preacher did invite him in, and he began to talk with him, and he, he counseled him until about 5 a.m. in the morning when Stuart Hamlin fell on his knees and cried out to God for salvation. It wasn't long until Stuart, he quit the destructive habits of drinking and gambling and womanizing. And soon he began to lose favor with the Hollywood crowd. He eventually was fired because he refused to uh, take uh, and accept a beer company as a sponsor. And hard times fell upon Stuart Hamlin. He tried to write a few gospel hymns, but to no success. And then one of his long-term friends from Hollywood, John Wayne, came to visit him one night. John Wayne looked at him and said, you know, Stuart, all your problems came upon you when you got religion. Was it worth it all? Stuart Hamlin looked at John Wayne and he replied, yes. 
John Wayne looked at him and says, well, you seem to really love your booze. Don't you ever miss it? Stuart Hamlin said no. John Wayne, he said to him, you know, I don't understand how you could give it up so easily. And Stuart Hamlin's response was, well, it's no big secret. With all things God, all things with God are possible. That's a catchy phrase, John Wayne said. He said, you should write a song about that, my friend. And Stuart Hamlin did. It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others. He'll do for you. And you know, that's true, sinner. You see, salvation is not only deliverance from hell, but it's deliverance from the destructive power of sin and Satan. The Lord Jesus, speaking in John's Gospel, chapter 10, in the verse 10, He said, The thief cometh not but for to, to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And while in the context He was preaching there, He was speaking there about the false teachers, they were the agents of the devil. The devil's intent is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But praise God, in this account that we have seen, not only do we see that, the devil's intent, we have Christ's intent. For he has come that man might, might have life and might have it more abundantly. Now this miracle that we have read is concerning demon possession. And in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, demonic activity was unparalleled. And we read many times in the New Testament of the Lord casting out devils or demons. Here in Mark 9, we have one of the most detailed accounts. And we have parallel accounts in Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 9. Now, as the Savior returned from the Mount of Transfiguration, He found the scribes who were ever present there to discredit the Lord, and they were questioning his disciples. The Lord, ever the protector of his people, he comes up to the scribes and he says to them, he asks them in verse 16, what question ye with them? Well, the scribes don't answer. His own disciples don't answer. He's met with silence. That's until one man steps forward from the crowd. And he says, Master, I have brought Unto thee, my son. And this evening, I want us to consider the verses following under the heading, The Son of a Man that was saved by the Son of Man. The Son of a Man that was saved by the Son of Man. Firstly, tonight, notice the disorder in the Son. This Son is not named, but he is possessed by a demon, and there's much concerning this possession that pictures the work of sin in the life of the sinner. And I want to point out four, or sorry, six things in relation to this disorder, and really the work of sin in the life of the sinner. Firstly, we have the designation of the disorder. And we need to go to Matthew chapter 17 and the verse 15 for this. And there we read that the Father comes to Christ. And he says there that he is a lunatic. Now that word lunatic is related to the moon, lunar. And literally can be translated moonstruck. It was a word that was often used to designate one with ep epilepsy. And since this young boy's actions under the influence and the power of the demon reflected a very serious case 
of epilepsy. That's why it's used of him. But we know that epilepsy is not the cause of demon possession. This boy was not epileptic. He was crazy. And that's how this word is used of the boy. This is how this word lunatic has been come to be understood. Here is a boy who did not behave rationally or with his senses. And this can be said of those who are yet in their sin. They do not act, they do not think rationally when it comes to the most important matters of life. Take, for example, it's often said, but, you know, no one has ever observed, neither can it be demonstrated that life has come from non-life. And yet they who profess themselves to be wise, they are willing to set aside their senses when it comes to such things as long as it does away with God and they can keep on sinning. Many who are yet in their sin, they have no interest, neither do they think about their eternal destiny, and that certainly is irrational thinking, and they justify all sorts of evil, all the while their evil actions corrupt and destroy their lives. One man said, sin is irrational, and it's break away from God since God is the source of supreme pleasure and beauty and love and goodness, and turning away from God therefore makes no sense. It is irrational. Sin is irrational in its short-sightedness. Sin is irrational in its undervaluing of the soul. Sin is irrational in that it chooses the temporary and fleeting over the eternal and the permanent. The sinner in their sin can be designated as a lunatic, madness, folly. But secondly, notice the debilitation of the disorder. Now we read here in verse 26 of Mark chapter 9 that the spirit or the demon cried, and in Luke 9, 39, that it suddenly crieth out. It's a word that means to scream or to shriek loudly. But this young boy was described as a by the father as dumb. He could not speak. And then later on in this account, whether, whether the father knew it or not, but the Lord Jesus reveals that this young boy was also deaf. The demon's debilitating influence upon the boy was to make him deaf and dumb. And now the devil, he wants to fill the ears of sinners with all sorts of loud, loud noise, so they do not hear the still small voice of God, the inward whisperings of the Holy Spirit. See, people today, maybe young people more especially, and they're always walking with their headphones in. There's always music blaring. They are never in silence, and I suspect that's because they're afraid of the silence, because that's when the conscience begins to speak. But furthermore than that, while the devil might want to distract, we might say, we have to say that sin has shut the ears of the soul to the call of the Spirit as the gospel is preached. It's not that you don't hear the preacher's voice, sinner, but you do not hear the voice of God. Sin has disabled you in this matter. This young boy was also dumb. The demon had debilitated his power of speech. He could not speak coherently. And that's what sin does. Sin disables the tongue from saying those things that are pleasing to God. 
It stops the tongue from praying to God, and in fact, it causes the tongue to speak dishonorably and blasphemously of God. And that's the effect of sin upon the ear and the tongue. It debilitates the sinner from hearing God and honoring God. And the divine work must be wrought upon both. The unstopping of the ears and the unloosing of the tongue, if the sinner, if you sinner, are ever to fulfill the purpose for which you were created to glorify and enjoy God. So there's a designation of the disorder, the debilitation of the disorder, and then thirdly we have the defilement of the disorder. Mark chapter 9 and the verse number 25. We read there that the demon is called a foul spirit. And in Luke 9, 42, an unclean spirit. And those words, foul and unclean, they're translated from the same Greek word, which can mean impure. Again, this typifies the effect or the work of sin. Sin never cleans anything up. It always defiles, it always pollutes. And there's many today that are more concerned about their physical cleanliness than they are their spiritual cleanliness. And the Bible is full on the teaching concerning this matter of uncleanness. From the typology of the unclean animals that were not permitted to be used in Levitical offerings to the lepers who cried out, unclean, unclean. A condition which separated them from going into the temple, into the place where God dwelt. Cut them off and isolated them from the congregation of God's people. Since God is pure and holy, we are so clearly taught that nothing that defileth, no unclean thing shall ever enter into heaven. Therefore, there needs to be something done with the defilement that sin has caused to your soul, sinner, if you are ever to be in glory. The Scripture tells me that it is the blood the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses from all sin. The defilement of the disorder. But fourthly, we see the discomfort of the disorder. You see, the demon brought great discomfort to this boy. Read in Matthew 17 and verse 15, that this young boy was sore vexed. A bad experience, that's what it means. And you know, sin... Sin, those who are controlled by sin, it is never a pleasant experience. Sin is a hard taskmaster, not a comfort, like the Holy Spirit. And we have certain words used in all three accounts which present to us just how great a discomfort this young boy was in. Look at verse 20 in this portion. It tells us here, sorry, verse 18, And wheresoever he he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And then he goes on to say, And I speak to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. This young boy was a captive in his discomfort. Wheresoever he taketh him, while sin might promise great freedom, It always brings bondage. The son was also torn and rent. The words which mean to break or to to put into convulsions. 
the possibility that bones were broken as a demon threw this young lad upon the ground, caused him to fall. Verse 20 that we read, that when he did fall on the ground, he also wallowed in the muck. And you know, sin, that's what it does. It brings people down. It brings them into the muck and the mire of sin. Sin never elevates a person's dignity or nobility or morality. But sin always pulls a sinner downward. And sin was a cause of the first fall into misery. And sin will ever bring the sinner downwards and cast him into hell, a place of unimaginable discomfort. The young boy also foamed at the mouth. The spittle would run uncontrollably down his face, causing sores to appear around his mouth. He would gnash with his teeth. That's a form of a word that's always used in the, or only used here in the New Testament. It means to, to grind the teeth. There's a medical term that's used concerning the grinding of teeth. It's called bruxism. And it's associated with anxiety and stress. But you know, sin, sin invites stress. And it brings anxiety into the life. And all these words and all these terms paint a great picture of discomfort that this young lad was in. And fifthly, we notice the duration of this disorder. Look at verse 21. And he, that's Christ, asked his father, How long is it ago since this, child, this came unto him? The father answered of a child. The problem hadn't started recently. But this had been going on for some time since this young boy was a, a child. We could read the words from infancy. And the duration reminds us that we're sinners from our birth. The psalmist said, Psalm 51 verse 5, I was shaping in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. In Proverbs chapter uh, 22 and verse 15, we read that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Sin has been a problem since the day of our birth. We might miss, we might miss a, a very important point here. Why did Christ ask this question? We always will think about when, why Christ asked the question. He didn't need this for information. The Lord knew that this young boy had this disorder, this demon possession, since he was a child. Why did the Lord ask the father, how long is it? Well, it was to draw forth from the father his desperation, thus magnifying that no case is too desperate for him to solve. That's why. There is no case that is too desperate for the Lord to solve. But fifthly, sorry, sixthly, we notice the deadliness of the disorder. Read in verse 
18 about this young boy who pineth away. Verse 22, the devil's demon's intent was to destroy him. Verse 26, we read that he was one as dead, and so much that many said he is dead. These phrases emphasize the deadly effects the demon possession had upon the boy. It's helpful to note that the Greek words translated here as pineth away. It's the same word that we read concerning the fig tree that was cursed by the Lord as withering away or drying up. How well this pictures the end result of sin. We've heard it oft. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Oh, sin promises life. Living it up. But sin, when it's finished, only bringeth forth death. Both Mark and Matthew's gospel point out very clearly that the underlying cause of this disorder was demonic. It wasn't psychological. It wasn't physiological. And therefore, no counselor, no medicine could ever solve this problem or help his son. Only Christ could help. You know, here is a scriptural diagnosis of the spiritual disorder that you have. It is not self-diagnosis. It's not what you think about yourself that matters. But it's what God thinks of you. And why does a preacher spend so much time getting this point across about the disorder, about the sin that's present in your life, about the designation of what God thinks of you, sinner, a fool, a lunatic, the duration of the disorder, the debilitation of the disorder, the deadliness of the disorder, the discomfort of the disorder. Why does a preacher spend so much time trying to get that point across to you? Well, the reason is quite simple, that unless you see your need, you will never seek out a remedy. Unless you understand that there's nothing you can do for yourself, unless you grasp the seriousness and the solemnity in the position in which you find yourself, you will never flee to Christ for salvation. That is why the preacher majors on this point. In the hope that you would understand clearly that only Christ can save your soul that only Christ can deal with the sin that's present in your life, that you would come to an understanding of that, that you are not as good as you think you are. This is how God views you. And unless you understand that, you will never seek out the remedy that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician. So we have the disorder in the Son. But secondly, tonight, the desperation of the situation. Now, this portion, and especially the Father, is often used in application and how God's people are to bring others to and before Christ. And while the Father here works as a proxy, because the Son is so ravaged under the, the terrible effects of this demon possession, there is much in this Father's approach that can be applied to the sinner and how you are to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This man is desperate. 
and the distress is heightened and the worry is deepened by the fact in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, we have a revelation that this was this man's only son. He knows the seriousness of the situation. He knows how this is all going to end. And this drives him to Christ. And as I said, sinner, unless, unless you grasp the gravity of the situation, and you understand by the Spirit the hopelessness of your condition and how it's all going to end in eternal death. It's only then that's when you'll get serious. It's time to get serious. It's time to stop fooling around. It's time to stop deceiving yourself and thinking, well, I'm good enough for another time. Or sin, well, it's not really that bad. It promises me life and liberty. It's time to get serious. And that's when you'll see Christ. This man was in distress. He had saw the hopelessness of his son's situation and he realized how this was all going to end and it drives him to the Lord Jesus. And he comes in reverence. And again, it's Matthew's account that reveals this to us. Matthew 17, verse 14, we read, There came to him, that's Christ, a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, he comes there and he honors Christ with his posture and his speech. He falls before the Savior. He places himself in the position of one who acknowledges that they are coming to a superior. Well, Peter he would not have Cornelius fall at his feet. For he too was a man and they were both equals, but Christ is not just a man. He is the God-man. And as Father, he came in humility. Humility demonstrated by the fact that he fell at the Savior's feet. He was giving the Lord his place, and sinner, that's how you should it's how you will come. When the fear of God and the fear of hell and the fear of judgment and the realization of your great guilt before God comes upon you, that's how you'll come. You'll come in reverence and humility. The Father also showed His reverence in how He addressed Christ. He calls Him Lord and Master. And again, these terms, they signify the recognition of authority. It's a revelation that this father believes that Jesus of Nazareth is who he says he is, the Son of God, with the ability and the authority to deliver. In his desperation, the father comes pleading and appealing to the mercy of God. Or the mercy of Christ, I should say. And again, it's Matthew's account that supplies that detail. He says in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son. The ground in which he seeks help from the Lord to help his son is mercy. You know, sinner, that's the only proper way to seek help from the Lord. You have no merit. To plead before Christ. You know, most people today, they're not crying out to God, to the Lord, for the disorder of their sin. And if they're those who do, well, 
They seldom base their coming to the Lord on divine mercy. They feel that the Lord, well, owes them help. If you want to be saved, you must come through the door of mercy. You will find that door open, sinner. You aren't to come to God with a list of the things that you have done. That is good things, or so-called good things. You're not to come to God with a list of things that you will seek to endeavor to do. You understand, sinner, you're in no position to bargain with God. You're in no position to make a deal with God. To demand that He does certain things for you. No, no, sinner. You must simply cast yourself on the mercy of God. On the loving kindness of God. On the compassion of God. And let Him do with you as He will. And what will He do to such a sinner that comes in a desperate condition to Him? Well, He will have mercy. He will have compassion. He will forgive you. And the reason why He can be merciful and compassionate and loving and kind and forgiving towards you is Jesus Christ. That's the reason. Christ Jesus, by His once for all sacrifice for sin, has appeased God's wrath. Attained for sinners who come to Him in their desperation, a full salvation. Titus 3 verse 5 so clearly tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His what? His mercy. He saved us. Away with all your self-righteousness, sinner. You need to cast yourself upon the mercy of God like this man. Lord, have mercy on my son. In his desperation, this man finally got to the one, the only one who could help him. You know, when you're sick or you're in pain, if it's so bad in your desperation to to feel ease, to get better, you'll try, you'll do anything. And if you have children and you see them in pain or you see them in great discomfort, well, any loving father, he would do anything. And I'm sure this man, he tried everything for his son. He did everything to his son in order to alleviate his pain and his discomfort. But nothing had worked to that point, even in the opening scene of this account that we have read We read here that this man brought his son unto his disciples, Christ's disciples, but they could do nothing for him. Their inability to help. You know, many bring their sins to man. They confess them to a priest. Or they, in their ignorance, they, they, they speak of their sins. Although they won't call them sins. Maybe failures, they might use that word. And they'll speak of their failures to a psychologist. But man cannot deal with your sin. And this preacher cannot deal with your sin. But in the words of the old gospel song, I know a man who can. Jesus Christ. The God-man. And in his desperation, this father cried out, 
Luke 9, verse 38, we read, He cried out in the midst of the crowd, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son. He sought Christ, this man, earnestly. And though the crowd was around him, it did not matter. He would not let this opportunity slip by. He wouldn't let Christ pass him by unless he got help from the Savior. Sinner, you need to seek Christ earnestly. You're in the midst of the crowd tonight. Young people, you're sitting beside your friends. I know what it's like. I've been there. I've got the t-shirt. The Lord dealing with my heart, my friends beside me. But I'm in the crowd. This man, he didn't care. He was earnest. He was desperate. He had come to understand how this was going to all end. So he comes to Christ in great earnestness. This man, when he came, he seems to have a doubt over the Savior's ability. Not the Savior's willingness. There were others who came to Christ, and the opposite was true of them. They had a doubt over his willingness, not his ability. But this man, well, he had a doubt over the Savior's ability, because he says there in verse 22, If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Sinner, you might have doubts tonight over the Savior's ability and or willingness, but doubt no longer, for these things are written. That we might believe. It has to be said, there is no sinner, no sinner who comes to Christ with perfect faith, with perfect repentance, with perfect knowledge, with perfect attitude, with perfect words of confession. You know, sinner, what is the most important thing? It's coming to Christ, the perfect Savior. It is the object. It is Christ who saves. Your faith might be small. Your repentance, it is imperfect. I will tell you that. But Christ is the perfect Savior. And Christ has done the perfect work. And He alone is able to deliver your soul from sin, its power and its penalty. Are you desperate tonight to be delivered from the destructive power of sin and Satan, from the destruction of an eternal hell? Well, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And that brings me to my last point. The disorder in the Son. The the desperation of the situation. Deliverance by the Savior. Now there's much in the Savior's response that we don't have time to deal with. But listen to these wonderful words at the end of verse 19. Bring him unto me. Words of command. Words of invitation. Words of openness to receive all who will come. And the Bible is full of such invitational commands. What did the Lord say to Noah? Come thou and all thine house into the ark. Isaiah 1, 18. Come thou and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Come 
ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye by and eat. The Lord Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the Gospels, one of the parables, come for all things are now ready. And then the book of God closes with another invitational command. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. One man said, Mankind has tried a myriad of remedies to deal with their sin, and yet all have failed, but Jesus Christ cannot and will not fail. Come to Christ. Sinner, do you realize that before this meeting, Christians have been bringing you to Christ in prayer? Through this meeting, this preacher has been endeavoring to bring you to Christ to present Christ before you, to bring Him before your face through the preaching of the Word. Why have we been doing that? He's the answer to your need. Only Christ. He's the only one who can provide for you a justifying righteousness. He's the only one who can wash away your sin. He's the only one who can give you a new heart. He's the only one who has paid the penalty and bore the punishment that was the sinner's due. And He is the only one who can deliver you from the destructive power of sin and Satan for all power is given unto Him. In this deliverance we see that the Lord, He rebukes the demon. Look at verse 25. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. See, it's by the power of the word this deliverance comes to pass. That's why we preach the gospel. Why am I not up here with a puppet in my hand or dancing out the gospel before you? It was by the power of the Word that this demon was cast out. That's why we preach the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. But do you notice the resistance there in verse 26? And the Spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him and was as one dead insomuch that many said he is dead. Sinner, don't you think that your own flesh and your own inward corruption and inclination to sin will not put up a struggle, will not resist the gospel. Don't think that the devil won't throw up everything to try and prevent you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And while he might not be able to do it or does not do it in a physical manner as he did with this boy, he will bring everything into your mind. He will cast doubts and accusations and blasphemies and lies and deceits. The devil, the demons are hard at work at the end of a gospel meeting. When decision time comes upon the sinner as to what they shall do with Jesus which is called the Christ. Why do you think it's at the coming near the end that distractions come in? That the friend or the mate nudges you? 
or something happens, the thought begins, or the mind begins to wonder, where we're coming near the end. What am I having for supper tonight? What frozen pizza is in the freezer? What's happening tomorrow? All these things come in. And that's the old fowls of the devil seeking to snatch away the Word, seeking to resist the Gospel as it's going forth and to hold you back from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. This demon didn't give up without a fight and neither will the sinful inclination of your own heart and your own inward corruptions and your own leaning and loving of sin. I wonder, sinner, do you feel that resistance now? May the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit prevail in your heart because, sinner, this is a permanent, permanent deliverance. This Spirit would enter no more into Him. And when Christ will wash you from your sin, it is a permanent deliverance from sin's condemnation. Oh, this demon had done its worst, had left this young boy for dead, but Christ reached out His tender, loving hand and laid His hand upon him, and He raised him up. And another detail we get in Matthew's Gospel is that Christ restored him unto His Father. And that's what the Lord will do to you tonight, sinner. He'll take you by the hand and He'll lift you out of your sin. He will raise you up and cause you to sit in heavenly places with Him and He will restore you unto God the Father. Sin will pull you down into the mire and you'll wallow in the muck and the mire of your sin and it'll eventually, it'll eventually pull you down into hell. But Christ, He's the one that raises sinners up. He's the one that gives life to dead sinners. I wonder, is there a son here tonight? A son, Father's been praying for you. He's been bringing you before the Lord in prayer. He's been endeavoring maybe to tell you about Christ in his own little way, whatever way it might be, but sin is dominating you. Sin is destroying you. Young man, it is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. For it is no secret what God can do. The Son of a man, saved by the Son of man. Sinner, come. Come to Christ. He's finished the work. He's accomplished redemption. He's fulfilled the law. He's bore the penalty. He's carried away sin and took it out of the way by the sacrifice of Himself. Come. Come to Christ. There's an openness in Him to receive all who will come. And He will save your soul. Let's bow in prayer. And let's pray and take a few moments, please.
And as the Lord's servant, I make myself available. I know the Lord's table will happen after closing prayer. But I'll linger in the minister's room. And if you are conscious of the Lord dealing with you, you're aware that you need salvation. I'll slip around the side of the building, come in the side door and into the minister's room and I'll meet with you there. As to Christ you must get. And even do that now in the quietness of your heart. Lift your heart to the Lord. Confess you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Christ died for your sin. To wash you in his blood. To make you over anew. To deliver you from the destructive power of sin and Satan. In your own home, do that as well. Those who watch online, just bow the knee in the closet and God will hear you. God will see you. God will save you. And then confess. Confess that to someone. Do that even this night. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank the Lord for the word of God, we thank thee for the power of Christ. We thank thee for the deliverance that he gives to sinners so afflicted with this disorder of sin. Bring us down into the pit of hell and yet, Lord, we thank thee. We thank thee for thy son and for his precious blood for the work that he finished at Calvary's tree. And we pray, Lord, that you will, by the power of the word and the drawing power of the Spirit, Bring sons and daughters to Jesus Christ this night. Lord, we know the desperateness of the situation. If they do not turn from their sin, Lord, we know how it all will end. We pray you'll have mercy and you'll save the lost. Lord, remember thy people. Remember us as we gather around the table. May it be sweet to us. We know the presence of our God. May it be a means, O God, of grace to edify us and strengthen us, draw us closer to Christ. And then as we all would go our separate ways, pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit, will be the portion of all thy people this night and forevermore. These things I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.